Welcome to episode 19 of the ATL podcast. Um, Saturday morning in the studio. A lot going on in the world. The U.S. election, COVID still looming large. So it's nice to sit down with my boy Nav to chat basketball, chat NBA. So what's going on, baby? Not much, man. It's November 7th. It's hot outside for November 7th. It's going to be like 20 degrees today. The U.S. still doesn't have a president. And we got some really exciting news in the NBA right now. I was, last time we were on our podcast, I was kind of like, when is, you know, when's the season going to start? We were trying to figure that out. No one knew. It was very hypothetical at that point. And now we have a concrete date. And it's exciting for us because in less than six weeks, we're going to be talking about current NBA topics. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy that they've come to that agreement. I know they wanted to get at least 72 games into the schedule because of all the TV deals and whatnot. And then they're also competing against the Olympics. That, that was pushed back a year. So um, for probably 60% of the league, uh, I'm sure they're avoiding that early date, but there's still those eight teams that haven't played since March and some of those other teams that didn't pass the uh, play-in uh, play games uh, and didn't make the playoffs. So I'm sure those teams are you know, itching to get back onto the court, but teams like the Lakers, team like Miami are probably dreading that early start date just because, you know, they just played three, four weeks ago. And it's crazy to think that, you know, at the end of game six and then to the start of the season, it's going to be only 71 games or 71 days, sorry. And that's the shortest offseason for any of the uh, four major sports leagues in North America ever. So that's going to be a very short period. I wonder what's going to happen, you know, how players are going to react, how teams are going to react. Obviously, different teams are going to act differently. And, you know, there's a little rumbling on, you know, with Danny Green saying that LeBron James is probably going to take the first month off and he's probably going to take some time off early on. So I'm not sure how the NBA is going to deal with guys sitting out for big chunks of the season. I know fans aren't going to be um, involved as much. So they're not going to worry about putting the best product out there for a live audience. But like, what are your thoughts on on the short offseason, everything kind of coming up so shortly, the NBA draft being in 10 days, the free agency process and stage being, you know, a few days after that, and then training camp starting December 1st, and then, yeah, the season starting three weeks after that. Well, I have a few thoughts. I'm going to try to try to streamline it as much as I can, but without going on a rant, I just feel like it's unprecedented times. And I just feel like as a organization, because the NBA is an organization, I feel like they all just sort of have to lock in and do what they got to do, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, what's at stake here is a lot of money. And the league lost the league lost a ton of money last year, but it wasn't even close to what they're about to lose this year with the full year without ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore... They have to start the season a little early, and it's too bad that players have to go to work early. And, you know, we all have to go. Everyone has to go to work. (laughs) I don't understand why there's rumblings. Uh LeBron James spends $3 million on his body a year. I'm sure he can sort of, he can put in another 500K and be ready for December 22nd. Hashtag year 18, though. (laughs) Hashtag year 18. But, you know, it's just, it's unprecedented times. What's at stake is the revenue, and therefore... Um, the, the salaries that the players are going to make. So if they want to make more money, mm-hmm. um, they have to play ball. Yeah. Uh, the league and players 
they were postponing the CBA contracts or the CBA talks up until the very last day, which was last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And the way the revenue sharing works, it's 50-50. What the, what the teams make, uh, they split 50-50 between the organization and the team. Yeah. Uh, the big elephant in the room at the time was the 40% escrow, yeah, yeah. where if, for those of you who don't know, shout out to Justin, big escrow guy. Um, escrow is a third party, like a, it's like a third party fund. And basically, the teams would put 40% of a player's salary into escrow. So if you made $1 million as a player, $400,000 of that salary was going to go into escrow. That's before state and federal tax. So if you're a player, like that's a huge loss, especially Mm -hmm. for those that aren't, you know, that haven't hit their stride, haven't gained that momentum, not making that generational wealth that some of these other players have, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what that... On Thursday, that talk was very important because what they did was they threw the players a bone, essentially. And they were like, we will only do 20% of escrow this year, 20% the next year. Mm -hmm. So basically, the players are getting overpaid technically this year because without ticket sales, um, they're going to make a lot more than that 50-50 that they had previously negotiated. Yeah, so with, with that... It's. I know with the escrow, I know that's just like the league's just holding on that onto that money until they release it at the end of the year. So they're still making that that same amount of money. It's just they're getting it distributed differently throughout the season. Uh, but what are your thoughts on guys potentially sitting out? Um, load management being definitely more prevalent uh, in the upcoming season. And how do you think some teams are just going to? Um, react to the to the whole thing. I feel bad for teams that are depending on big moves, acquisitions, extensions, things like that this season because you thought you had a little bit more time to think, game plan, and I'm sure this is what they do all day every day, right? So from a team perspective, kind of puts you in a bit of a time crunch. Uh, you got to make some decisions that you might have not expected to make so early, and so I feel bad for the teams. Um, for players, I don't feel bad at all. I feel as though this is part of what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's in a pinch right now. The league's trying to make more money, but the league's trying to make more money for your benefit because you make money when the league is more profitable. And I feel as though with regard to load, load management, it's going to have a direct influence on ratings and ratings are a major revenue stream right now for teams. So with load, ma- like they already had a decline in ratings in the finals. They had a decline in ratings overall in the bubble, even though... From a basketball peer's perspective, I thought bubble basketball was probably some of the most entertaining basketball product I've seen in a while. Yeah, I agree. Um, from a macro standpoint, they clearly didn't get the ratings that they were hoping for. I feel as though if we start hearing about load management, players sitting out, things like that, it's going to have a direct influence on the amount of eyes watching watching games. Yeah. How about I'm, you? I'm just wondering if the quality of the basketball will um, will hurt a little bit with guys sitting out long term but like, I agree with you like I'm sure 90% of the of the league wants to play because 90% of the league aren't these stars who have these max contracts fully guaranteed for the next five years right there's a lot of just role players guys who are the 15th 14th 13th guy uh, off the bench that want to make a name for themselves want to be able to play and I know the G League is um, still um, working their way to uh, having a season. So that's not even a sure thing yet. Uh, so a bunch of those guys 
are going to be out of a job. So if they're able to find a role within the NBA, find a team to uh, latch on to, that's definitely going to help them. But, yeah, that's going to hurt the league's product on the court. Definitely if guys continue to sit out, continue to use the excuse of, you know, a longer or a shorter offseason. Shorter off and, yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with some of these teams and some of these players and the decision to either sit out for long periods of time or if they're going to, you know, just start – start training camp and then play the 72 games um, through the year. It's really bullshit when you think <laughs> about what we're talking about right now because, I mean, they worked really hard to get to where they are. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get into that conversation. But what we're really talking about is just going back to work. And yeah. Yeah. you're doing it early. And, you know, compared to a lot of other people in America right now, uh, you're sitting at the top 1%. And I don't think that... Um, I'd be surprised. Like, I hope there is no rumblings. I hope that there's no one bitching, complaining about having to play basketball early. There will be, though. There will be. There's ar- there already is. And they haven't even, you know, they're, they haven't even started the season yet. So who? 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 Well, LeBron. LeBron already. LeBron already. And Oh, I guess in that, in that episode <laughs> of The Shop. Did you see the Barack Obama episode no, of The Shop? No, I haven't seen that one yet. It was actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> But you're hurting to say that. <laughs> but he he did allude to the fact that he's going to be cherry picking for the first six weeks of the season. Really? Yeah. Oh, whatever. He's he doesn't he doesn't even try that much like try that hard throughout the the regular season, anyways. Um, but he does perform in the playoffs, so you give him that, right? So, um, so outside of that, a lot of, has happened in the NBA circle since we last talked. A lot of front office moves. A lot of coaching moves. So let's start with the, the biggest one so far. Uh, Daryl Morey joining Doc Rivers in, uh, in Philadelphia. Um, they have now a very strong front office, a very strong bet, uh, coach. And their team is still kind of in shambles. Uh, the, the weird fit with Joel Embiid, with uh, Simmons, and kind of the lack of shooting on that team. So it'll be interesting to see... What he brings to the table, I know he's the he's the GM that makes the most trades, kind of the guy that's been thinking out of the box for the longest time. So, what are your initial thoughts on 76ers um, getting Daryl Morey? Yeah, I was shocked to find out that he found a job so soon. I thought his commitment to small ball and his stubbornness to stick with that formula was going to prevent him from getting a job in the league. Um, the irony is that he went to an organization that's sort of built around a center and yeah. a big man. Yeah. But when you think about his career, you know, he is the guy that brought in Dwight Howard. He did come into a Rockets team during Yao Ming. Exactly. So exactly. He, he's very, he's, he's got the, um, he's got the, uh, what do you call it? The skill set to make it work. The thing I find fascinating about Daryl Morey, though, is he always just wants the best player. And he's one of those GMs that's willing to mortgage a future in order to just get talent. He's about yeah. talent, 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 talent. With that being said, they have a ton of it. So I think what this is going to do is buy Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid an extra year. It's going to buy them a year to see if this really does work. And I think that Philadelphia is going to shake. They're going to shake things up in Philadelphia either at the trade deadline if it's really going bad, yeah. or the following year. But they're going to give this experiment one more time, one more try. And they have great players. Richardson, Tobias Harris, like they are, they are very, very solid, solid, and it'll just, 
it'll be interesting to see if Doc Rivers is going to be that difference maker. To- yeah, I think um, they didn't have Ben Simmons for the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good even point. though they were struggling throughout the year as a as a team that you know did not play well away from um, Wells Fargo and. They were a really good home team, but you know they weren't able to perform when they were away from their home arena. So it's it's interesting to see if that team is able to get anything from Al Horford if they make a move to get him out of there because he's kind of redundant with Joel Embiid. There, they're kind of trying to make him a, a stretch four where he that's not really his position. Uh, they just have weird mismatch pieces right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if they make. A big move. I know there's reports that they're looking to uh, looking to acquire James Harden. I'm not sure what that package would look like. What you know, how you even get that deal deal going? Do you put in Ben Simmons and some picks or whatever to to get that in? But you know, that's there's some rumors on that. I love. I just love <laughs> those reports. It's like Daryl Morey goes to Philadelphia. He puts out that. That big one-page newspaper letter about how much he's going to miss James Harden and yeah. the aggregators. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like, oh, James, report Philadelphia wants James Harden. Yeah, no, yeah. like no shit. Yeah. But w- why would why Philadelphia is just gonna what their their heart's gonna hurt for or sorry Houston's heart's gonna hurt for Philadelphia and be like, yeah, let's pair that let's pair up James yeah. Harden with Daryl Morey. Like, not gonna happen. It's I think there's there's rumblings because. Kind of the, the Houston Rockets are in kind of in limbo right now. I feel like because now they have a new head coach, Stephen Silas, who I didn't even know who he was. Who he was? I, I from the name I knew he was related to Paul Silas in one way or another. But he was assistant coach on the Mavericks under Rick Carlisle, and I have no you know idea of how what type of coach he is. So I'm surprised that they hired a first time head coach to to coach you know a team that has championship aspirations um they they had uh jeff van gundy and i believe they had uh john lucas um as the other candidates which i you know i thought would be better hires as they you know they have head coaching experience rather than this first time head coach so it'd be you know interesting to see what happens with with him as their head coach and now just their roster what what are they doing going to do with the roster they've kind of went all in with Westbrook trading away a lot of assets, first-round picks and swaps, um, trading Capello away. So they're, you know, a smaller team now. And I wonder if they're going to shake things up or if they continue to, what, are they going to be just middle-of-the-pack playoff team for the next while? Like, they have to make a move here or there, um, either try to get rid of Westbrook and, again, try to find another way to whip, to build around Harden, or do you get rid of Harden and try to get as much asset assets as you can for the guy who's in his prime? Always, again, a NBA scoring title uh, holder for the, for the last two, three years, and I'm sure you can get a shitload for, for him and see what happens. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do because they are a team kind of right now in limbo. I feel like their window... Of, has kind of gone away now. They had that two, three year window um, where they had a chance with uh, with D'Antoni, with uh, Maury, and with Harden. Now I feel like that's kind of gone out the window. Yeah, I feel as though Houston's always, their approach has always been experimental. 
I've always, for the last five years, I've always thought of the Houston Rockets as a big experiment. And clearly that experiment failed. But there's a couple of thoughts I have with that team. I feel as though just because Westbrook couldn't play with Clint Capella doesn't mean that they can't bring a center onto their roster and run themselves like a normal basketball team again. Mm-hmm. Um, they are that good. You know, that if you bring in one or two pieces, they can immediately bring themselves within like the top three or four teams in the West. Yeah. Uh, provided things work out, obviously. The other thing, too, is I was thinking about Westbrook's contract and just that situation. I don't know what it works out in terms of the numbers, but I feel like the Rockets are in a little bit of 2013 Raptors situation right now where they could get rid of Westbrook and surround James Harden with a solid foundation. And sometimes that's what it takes. You know, you, you get rid of that superstar, you bring in three or four pieces, and things just end up working. All of a sudden, you're five, six players deep. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do because I feel like, yeah, like you were saying, it could go either way. So transitioning from the Houston Rockets in uh, the news with Mike D'Antoni, the former head coach of that team, taking a back seat and taking a role under Steve Nash as an assistant head coach. I thought that was a bit shocking. Well, uh, you're, you're going to act like I didn't call that? <laughs> you did call that. You did call that. Uh, but, you know, I'd never, you know, th- this guy coached Steve Nash for, you know, X amount of years um, in the th- seventy sec- six seconds or less offense with the, the Phoenix Suns where where Steve Nash won two MVP titles and, you know, they were a contender for the championship every year he was there. And now he takes, a, you know, another, yeah, a, a role with that team having Amari Stoudemire. I know they hired, uh, I'm in, uh, what's his name, uh, Adoku, the, the Spurs assistant coach yeah. on that roster too or on, the, on that bench too. So, yeah, Steve Nash has a really good, supporting coaching staff behind him now as he enters his first year with the Nets, uh, trying to, you know, balance the personalities of KD, Kyrie, and I'm sure they're going to try to make some moves. They have, um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, they have Karis LeVert, um, guys who need the ball in their hands. So it's going to be interesting to see what moves they make and what Sean Marks is able to do um, in the free agent free agency and with the, with the, uh, season uh, about to start. So, what are your thoughts on just that pretty big move from going from a head coach to a contender to now taking a backseat role with one of your former players? Other than calling it uh, <laughs> three weeks, three months ago, Nastradamus. Um, I love it, and I'll tell you why. When I was listening to Jackie McMullen on a podcast, and she was saying that you know she's spoken to Mike D'Antoni and said you know you've been through so much over the last. Throughout your whole career, really, you've been through. You've been a head coach nonstop. Um, you've had to manage so many different egos, put on so many different hats. I feel like being an M- NBA head coach is grueling. Oh, for sure. It, it's probably one. It's probably the most stressful um, role that you can you can uh, take on in the league, other than being like LeBron James or one of the top three players in the league. Mm-hmm. And Mike D'Antoni's just been under the spotlight year after year after year, and. I feel like coaching Houston would probably be one of the hardest teams to coach because like we were saying early, you're the head coach spearheading this gigantic experiment. And in many ways it fits his personality because he's such an offensive minded coach, 
So I thought, okay, you got you got released from the Houston job, relieved from the Houston job, and now it's time to just relax. You know, put your feet up, take some time to take some time for yourself, really. Yeah. And the fact that he gets to go to Brooklyn, which is an awesome city, under a head coach that he probably just loves. Mm. Probably one of I would say, I would guess that Steve Nash is probably the best player he's ever coached or the most fun player he's yeah. ever coached. Yeah. And you get to just work on your one, you get to focus on your one singular area of expertise, and that's offense. And not only that, you get to do with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and right now, Clarice Levert in that supporting cast. So I think for D'Antoni, this is actually a little bit of a sabbatical in a way where there's no pressure on you and you get to just be an offensive mastermind um, among one of the most talented rosters in the NBA. I feel like this, in a sense, is a vacation. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a really good point. Um, he has coached Phoenix. He's coached New York. He's coached Los Angeles. He's coached the you know very scrutinized and Houston not, Rockets. Yeah, and not to mention like there's more pressure when you're in his role every year where you're supposed to win a championship and you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because he was a head coach for that stacked Lakers team that was just um, riddled with injuries. You know, with New York. That. Um, and yeah, with now with Houston and everything that happened with that team. So he's definitely been under the microscope for so long now, so much pressure. Still, Kosha hasn't been able to make the finals. I know he's one of the guys who just has, you know, a great regular season, but isn't able to um, get to the finals and get to, you know, the ultimate goal. So it is probably a great step or just a great um, role for him to just focus mainly on offense kind of to help Steve Nash transition into into a head coach and try to balance these huge egos um, with those two star players. And they have a, yeah, they have a stacked team. It's going to be really cool to see that team get involved in the Eastern Conference picture, have Golden State with the number number two pick, see what they end up doing with that, uh, with that draft pick. They have Andrew Wiggins and, you know, uh, Clay, Steph, Draymond, those guys are still relatively young. I know they're gonna get try to get their legs under them again with you know with their injuries from last year or the year before. Uh, so having them in the Western Conference picture as well is gonna be huge. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for the new season. I know there's so much going on. The NBA is basically just a big soap opera. There's always like twists and turns. It's a basically a news cycle for 365 days of the year. There's always something going on. We, you know, we last chatted three weeks ago, and all this, it, all this stuff has happened. You know, even stuff with the Raptors, um, Nate Borkin having getting the um, Pacers head coaching role. I know we talked about that briefly a few months ago, and stuff happening with Terrence Davis, and you know, free agency looming with Fred VanVleet, Serge Ibaka, a lot of you know Raptors related news happening so um, you know just quickly what are your thoughts on all that all that stuff happening with the Raptors I know um, Nate's been under um, Nick Nurse for the last few years I know they were coaches together in the G League he was the head coach or the assistant coach with with the Raptors when they won the championship so he has uh, a lot of influence on the way the Raptors were able to perform the last few years so I guess we're starting with that. Like, what are your thoughts on him joining the the Pacers as their as their head coach? Yeah, no, I love it. And we were talking about it a couple of months ago. How um, 
we were kind of, I think we were just sort of uh, laughing at how the narratives within the NBA, like once there's a coaching vacancy, it's always about like the big names come up, right? The ex-coaches, the ex-players. And we were talking about how being a assistant coach for a very successful team like the Toronto Raptors, if I'm a GM looking for a head coach, that might carry more merit than Chauncey Billups or Tyrone Liu or people that um, the outside would assume are shoo-ins. So I'm just very happy for him. And I think what's very telling and glaring is when you look at the player's Twitter account and you got you see guys like Fred Van Fleet or Norman Powell uh, congratulating him. I think that says more than anything because you can, you know, as an assistant coach, you have a very vital role. Um, you have to have your ear to the ground to the bench and you have to be a voice for the coach, right? So um, he clearly did a very... Um, a very good job in Toronto, and it paid dividends with him getting to be head coach for an awesome organization. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what happens with that team. I know Victor Oladipo, there's rumblings that he he's on the trading block. I think he has one year left on his contract. Um, they're still a young team. I know they're probably you know a four or five seed in the East. Uh, they didn't make too much noise in the playoffs this year with um, Sabonis being hurt, but they still have a you know a decent young team. They have T.J. Warren, uh, they have I think they have Jeremy Lamb. So yeah, a decent team to to go into, and it'd be nice to see what ha- what happens with him and how he's able to replace Nate McMillan um, on that bench and see if he's able to get the most out of those players. Um, well, one other thing is their th- their composition is very Raptors esque. They have a very similar. Um, you know, roster composition to the Raptors. And I think that Nate Bjorken can use a lot of those Nick Nurse offensive ideas with that team successfully. Yeah, they don't have a major star. I know Victor Oladipo, I, you know, still an all-star, but he's been hurt the last two years. And he's not the same player he was a year or so ago. Uh, but they have a lot. They have solid, solid players like Sabonis. He's is, deep. Yeah, solid. Like Sabonis is an all-star they got T.J. Warren, who can kind of carry that scoring load. Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, yeah, true, yeah. Forgot about Malcolm Brogdon. They have, um, who's the uh, who's their center again? What's his name? Miles, Miles Turner. Miles Turner, Turner. Yeah. Miles Turner. Uh, so they have they have a deep roster. So very, yeah, so very similar to how the, the Raptors are um, uh, in terms of the roster. So, yeah, interesting to see if he's able to you know, get the most of that team in the regular season and see if they can, you know, have a good matchup in the playoffs and they may, you know, win one or two playoff rounds. Um, staying on with the Raptors, um, you know, Terrence Davis, you know, unfortunate news there. We don't really know the full story, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, the Raptors going to try to comply with, with everything. And, you know, unfortunate for him, he's been accused of, you know, um, assault in New York City, uh, incident with his girlfriend. So, you know, I hope, you know, something, you know, I hope the best for him. I know, I'm not sure what the backstory is, but potentially we could be losing, you know, uh, a guy that we un- that was that was signed, undrafted rookie, had a great regular season for us, um, played some minutes in the playoffs, and was looking like the next Norman Powell, the next Fred Van Vliet. So, you know, not not too sure what to really say. You know, had a good season, a good rookie year, and you know, hopefully that you know things are able to 
be uncovered and either, you know, he's still with the team. Hopefully, if not, then, you know, he might, he just might be out the, might be out of the league with the, with the way that uh, the accusations that are upon him. Like what, what, what were your first thoughts when, when you heard about that with him? Yeah, I mean, you got to put basketball aside in that kind of situation. Like, obviously, selfishly, I'd be like, oh, you know, I want him to uh, get back on the Raptors, but this, that's serious stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you got to let uh, you got to let the justice system take its course. He pleaded not guilty, um, so really, no comment. Like, it would be very unfortunate if if he did get accused of something and and he wasn't able to be a part of the organization anymore because he was one of the bright spots of the year for sure. Yeah. Uh, a fan favorite. Seemed like he was like beloved by the team. Um, and what, second team all-rookie? Third team all-rookie? Uh, I think he was second team. Second, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he had a very promising future ahead of him. Uh, unfortunate to say the least, sure. if, if it is in fact true. Uh, but you just got to let time take its course here. For sure. Um, one thing I quickly missed on was Stan Van Gunny going to the Pelicans. Stan Van Gunny went to the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... Chaff. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so being re- reunited with J.J. Redick, uh, someone that he coached um, in Orlando, he gets to um, take on a very young roster with Zion, with Lonzo Ball, with uh, Brandon Ingram... And I know Drew Holiday's on the trading block. I know the Pelicans are openly discussing trade opportunities for him. So, you know, what are your thoughts on him as being head coach? I know he had a great run with the Orlando Magic. Um, not so great run with the Detroit Pistons. And now he gets to take a very young, uh, very talented team um, into, you know, into the new season. So, you know, what are your thoughts on the hiring there? And then what are your thoughts also on possibly Drew Holiday um, being traded? Yeah, I mean, who was the superstar in Detroit when Stan Gundy, Stan Van Gundy was coaching there? Or was there? Were They were kind of like a, they were an eight-seed young team that had a lot of building blocks, right? Like Andre Drummond um, or yeah, okay. Griffin? Because like, what I was going to say with Stan is, I think with any of the Van Gundys, and I think this alludes to the fact why um, Jeff couldn't get the Houston job, is I feel like you have to be very coachable to play for Stan Van Gundy. Um, you have to, you got to have certain personalities on that team that are willing to take criticism because he's old school. He's defensive minded. He's tough. He'll tell you, he'll tell you what it's what's on his mind. That's what I think coming from a guy that's never been coached. Stan Van Gundy, right? But but I feel as though. Um, Zion, JJ, they're Duke kids. Um, I just feel like they've had that Shashevsky's type coaching in their in their past, so they should be more receptive to tough love. Uh, Brendan Ingram doesn't seem like a guy that is um, that would be uh, you know affected by it as well. So I just feel like Stan Van Gundy is the right team for right coach for that young team. I feel like they can all be coached, and I'm excited for him because I think that's a very talented roster, and I've always thought he was a very talented coach. Yeah, I think um, his track record with Orlando and surrounding players and surrounding schemes around a a big, so around Dwight Howard, I think they they saw that you know Dwight like how successful Dwight Howard was uh, when he was able to build the offense around him. Now they're trying to do that with Zion, right? Right. Zion's a generational talent. He plays 
much differently than a lot of a lot of NBA players, uh, especially in, in the new shooting generation, shooting era, and he's kind of an anomaly. So it'd be interesting to see what um, David Griffin is able to put around him. I know they have a good you know baseline, a good foundation, um, but you know having JJ Redick is going to be huge for them. Kind of a guy that is able to space the floor, um, doesn't need the ball in his hands, and I think having that connection with uh, Van Gundy is a huge, huge uh, get for them. And I know JJ, he has a podcast as well, The Old Man in the Three, that, uh, that he has, and he did comment um, on this news, and he did say that he, Stan Van Gundy was the best coach for him as a young player because he made sure that he was working. He made sure that um, he was you know, putting the time in, and he credits a lot of his success as a young player to uh, Stan Van Gundy, so I'm sure that you know that he had a lot of input into him being hired as well. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. And um, what I wanted to say too was, I don't like when you hear those narratives where it's like, you know, they Jeff Van Gundy did this with this team, therefore this organization thinks he can do that with this team, like that Orlando comment. But yeah. I, in in relation to that Orlando comment, I think you're right because. That Orlando team would actually do pretty good in this era because they surrounded Dwight mm-hmm. around just shooters galore. Yeah, And exactly. so I actually think that Stan Van Gundy is a great fit in that regard because there are a lot of parallels to what they're going to be able to accomplish. You know, you put Ingram in that Richard Lewis role. You exactly. put JJ exactly. in that role that he was already in. Exactly. You got whichever point guard they have in that Jameer Nelson role. Like, mm-hmm. There's actually a lot of parallel between those two teams. Um, and I think that's why Orlando was so, so uh, they're actually ahead of their time in that era. So yeah, it's they gonna, were. Yeah, they so were. it's going to be they cool were. to see what he's able to do. I think he's definitely the right fit yeah. for the Pelicans. I agree. I agree. Cool. So that's all I had uh, tabled for today. Um, you know, we do have um, some exciting episodes coming up. Uh, we're going to start a new a new series for the next few episodes before the season starts. We're going to try to bring in some um, local basketball experts, uh, players. And yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep it down low for now, but we do have some exciting guests uh, coming up uh, for the next few episodes. So, you know, that's all I got from my end. Anything else that you wanted to, to bring up or? Yeah, a couple things. I love on Instagram where it's like the Milwaukee Bucks are looking at Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal, Chris Paul. It's like, no shit. <laughs> like, you just want every player? Yeah. <laughs> I love these, like, rumor. Rumor. The Milwaukee Bucks are interested in every free agent right now in the league. But, uh, no, other than that, I was, re- I was going through an old phone. I had to – I was giving a phone to someone. So I had to, like, start up my old iPhone 5S, I think it was. So I got a text from 2017 when you were like, was Giggs at OVO Fest show? <laughs> we need to see him perform that song once in our lifetime. <laughs> I think we were talking about KMT. Yeah, I got the text right here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's bucket list stuff. Bucket list. Shout Hopefully. out to Giggs putting out Giggs. his new album, Buff Baddies. Buff Baddies. Yeah, yeah I saw Single that. Single out that. right that, now. That came out, that came out yes, yesterday. New release. Oh man, no, I got nothing else. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. 
Take care. Have a good weekend. Peace. Peace.